Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey guys, guess what? I'm back. Here's another episode of Crime Candy. Before we start, I'm actually in a different place today recording. I am in my parents' house, which is very strange to say the least. But I look over and see two cute little small puppies named Methson and Winsome sleeping on a dog bed. Oh, they're so cute. But anyways, sorry, enough about that. Okay, for today's episode, this comes from the Kansas City Star by Brian Burns and Mark Morris. I titled this episode, What do an insurance agent, his wife, and a charismatic pre-pastor have in common? Stay tuned to find out. <clears throat> Detective Keith Rosewaren got the call around 6 p.m. letting him know that, the, that Randy Stone's wife, Teresa, was waiting for him downstairs. He knew she might be his last chance. Inside the Independence Police Department, where the buzz had been constant for three weeks, an interrogation room sat empty for the moment. Soon to play the main stage in the city's most sensational homicide drama in years. Rose Warren had been accustomed to interrogating detainees in Afghanistan. Now he would be questioning Teresa Stone, wife, mother of two, obstinate witness, and unknown to her, a suspect in her husband Randy's murder. On the last day of March 2010, with Spring's arrival still hanging in the air, Randy Stone was found dead in his insurance office, a bullet in his head. As detectives watched outside at Stone's funeral, his longtime pastor, David Love, which is this kind of weird, but there no displaying weird name for a pastor, David Love, but it makes sense, I guess, gave a moving eulogy for the 42-year-old Marine veteran, respected businessman, and church leader. But there were whispers and suspicions almost immediately, rumors of illicit sex and betrayal, which nine times signs out of ten, the rumors are usually true. A torn-up love note was discovered at the crime scene. Not enough, though, for police to make an arrest. As Rose Warren hung up the phone, he tucked a Miranda waiver form in a folder and walked out to meet Teresa Stone. At least she would open up without a lawyer. If she didn't like the questions, she could leave any time. This is a one-shot deal, Rose Warren thought to himself. You gotta get her to talk. 
So Brandy and Teresa Stone had known each other since they were kids in the northeast area of Kansas City, but didn't date until after he returned from Marine duty in 1990. Later that year, Brandy, a tough one with a soft side, and Teresa, an attractive and flirtatious woman, they soon began a family that would grow to four. Randy thrived in competition as a fitness fanatic on the basketball court or office. He built his farmer's insurance agency into one of the most successful in the region. But he also wrote poetry for his wife, kept a journal, drove his church's Sunday school bus, and advised the congregation of financial issues. So all around, nice, pretty simple, nice guy. So Teresa worked in his Nolan Road office. First as a customer service rep, and then as a licensed agent. She proved to be a city business partner, opening the office every morning and allowing Randy to manage a client and the relationship with Farmers Insurance, whose products they sold. Both spent many hours at Teresa's longtime church, New Hope Baptist, at 18,000 East Lexington Road in Independence, Kansas. Randy and Teresa married there, and Teresa helped in the church kitchen and occasionally sang in the choir. The Reverend David Love, articulate, attractive, and partial to dark suits, arrived in 1999 and immediately proved a hit with the congregation, and I bet the ladies too. Reared in the Midwest, son of missionaries, he polished his preaching skills at a Baptist college in the South, and as a youth minister and pastor at two previous churches. Randy Stone became one of his most devoted followers. Though the two occasionally argued about church business, Randy considered Brother Love the most influential person in his life. I just wish... I couldn't find a whole lot of details on what church business they are, church business they argue about, but who knows? Maybe it's about financial stuff, but... Or other stuff. Who knows? Brandy particularly liked the demanding interpretation of Baptist Christianary that his, pastors, that his pastor preached. Once telling a friend that the more mainstream Southern Baptist Convention was too liberal and willing to compromise. A smooth and charismatic leader. Sorry, my computer kind of weirded out there. Love adhered to the expository preaching style in which he laid out a chunk of scripture and then systematically explained it bit by bit. I love the word of God, love. Reverend Love assured during a 2003 sermon. I'm God the Lord called me to preach. And it's a delight and a privilege to be able to come before you. Yet he battled financial issues that split a Virginia congregation in the 1990s. Similar trouble arose early in his independence ministry when he couldn't account for about $30,000 missing from a fund for missionary salaries. Ooh, that is not good. Confronted, love recoiled in anger. I will not let a church checkbook run my ministry, he said. Which usually means, A, he knows what happened to it, or B, he... He knows what happened to it, and he probably spent that money on other stuff. Still, Reverend Love presented the face of a perfect preacher, and Donahan's wife, Kim, a talkative woman with a lush southern accent who relished her role as a mother, pastor's spouse, and church secretary. 
She exhibited a fierce Christian faith and a truthful and forgiving nature that others sometimes thought her a phony. They met during their college years in Chattanooga, Tennessee. One day he took her out on a high hill overlooking the city. Kimberly Joy Turner, he said, I can search the whole world over and I'd never find anybody like you. Will you marry me? She answered rapturously, yes, yes, yes. And David tugged a ring from his pinky finger and handed it to his new fiance. They went on June 26, 1982. David treated her like a king, like a queen, Kim later said. Yet as their marriage grew, so did Kim's wariness of other women attracted to handsome preachers. She shooed her husband away from the other women. Teresa Stone, who she thought was a little too friendly with her husband, her relationship with Teresa could be friendly, dramatic, brittle, and competitive, all from the space of a single day. When no day, no day was as bad as March 31st, 2010, the day of Randy's murder. As Teresa pulled into his parking space late that afternoon next to her husband's blue Chevy Malibu, the only other car in the lot, she immediately noticed that someone had closed his insurance agency's blinds. That's not normal, she thought. Late getting back to the office, Teresa had been chopping and running errands all afternoon. She remembered opening the blinds that morning a couple of hours after arriving for work, and Randy never closed them before dark. Teresa keyed the lock, which turned quickly. That meant the harder-to-manage Deadpool had not been engaged. Sorry, he's trying to take a drink of something. Um, she then said, Honey, where are you? Teresa called. She looked in a strange room and saw the usual clutter, but not her husband. Teresa checked Randy's office and found nothing out of the ordinary. Reaching her smaller office down the hall, Teresa looked down. Her husband lay motionless on the floor beside her desk, near a coffee machine. Blood streamed from his left ear had begun to dry and his head lay in a wet puddle of bone splinters and brain. A space heater that had toppled behind him bore a crimson smear. Blood spatter dotted furniture and walls. Randy's eyes had blackened and his lips were blue. Randy! Teresa, wake up! She stepped over him and reached for a wireless telephone headset. She called her parents, told them Randy had been shot, and asked them to come to the office. Then she called 911. I'm thinking that's just weird. Usually you would call 911 before calling anyone else, but I mean, that's just me. I don't know what other people would do. I mean, you could say she's in shock and stuff, but as we know later, that's probably going to come into question later on. Oh my God, she said. 911, the call taker responded. Do you need police, fire, or medical? Yes, I do, please. Okay, take a breath. Where are you at? Sorry, guys, my computer's first. I just walked into my office. My husband's lying on my floor in my office. Okay, listen to me. Hear me. Where are you? I need the address of where you're at. It's 139112 13 Nolan Court. Okay, what's the suite number? 
Sweet A as an apple. Okay, now, what's wrong with their husband? He's been, I don't know, there's blood everywhere and it's coming out of his ear. Obeying the call taker's instructions, Teresa left the office and waited for patrol officers to arrive. But it's... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but okay. She said, well, she told them, her, she told her parents that he had been shot, but then she's like, I don't know. So, that doesn't make any sense. Her call does not make any sense to the uh, first response, or the the dispatch or whatever, sorry. The dispatch that would send the police or whatever. So yeah, that doesn't make any sense. But anyway, sorry, I digress. The first on the scene happened to be a member of her church. Pastor Love heard of a word that had Pastor Love heard a word of it during a hospital call in South Kansas City. Soon a church youth minister appeared outside the insurance office. And within minutes, Kim Loves pulled into the parking lot. Spotting Teresa, Kim wrapped an arm around her and said, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. This is terrible. Pastor Love soon appeared, about a half hour quicker than expected. He sized up the situation, left the comforting to others, and intently watched detectives from the parking lot. Okay, that's just weird. As officers strung crime scene tape between utility poles to secure the front of the office, and a half dozen detectives began investigating inside. Someone asked Kim to drive a shaky Teresa to a nearby restroom. Kim submitted to duty as she had throughout her marriage. But Kim also assessed her passenger coolly. She thought, did you do this? Kim and Teresa soon returned to the parking lot where shocked friends, family, and church members grieved as investigators came and went from the insurance office. Ta Tapped to lead, excuse me, tapped to lead the investigation. Detective Keith Rose Warren waited outside the crime scene. Technicians and medical examiners worked. Already, he learned that, that Randy, like him, was a veteran, immensely proud of his military service. Detective Keith suspended his police ID on a Go Army lanyard. He had twenty years of service in the active duty Army. Army. National Guard in Reserve and served in Iraq and Afghanistan investigating crime. During his tour in Afghanistan, Detective Keith had sent his colleagues a framed American flag that had flown on an F-15 fighter jet during a mission. It was a small way of thanking detectives in Independence, Kansas, for picking up his slack while he was overseas. Detective Keith felt an amazing kin... Me Sorry. Detective Keith felt an immediate kinship to Randy Stone. His life course is not much different than mine, he thought. The Stone's daughter, Miranda, arrived with her maternal grandparents, who had told her only that her father had been shot. She learned of his death in the parking lot. Oh, that's nice and lovely. <laughs> Teresa took a call from her son, Michael, at college in Florida, and she only had time to tell him of his father's death before resuming in conversation with detective. Pastor David Love pulled his eyes from the crime scene for a quick word with Teresa during a quiet moment. He reminded her of something in her purse. Get rid of the track phone, he said. And if police ask you about Randy's gun, tell them he sold it three months ago.
Randy Stone likely knew and trusted his killer. Nowhere in any of the offices could police detect signs of a struggle, not even a hint. Stone appeared to have been ambushed, shot in the head while his back turned. The location argued against the killing being random, opportunistic violence. It's highly unusual for someone to be gunned down during the day in a business on Nolan Road, one of Independence's, one of Independence's Kansas busiest commercial streets. In forget robbery, detectives found $151 in cash sitting on a desk and Randy's wallet remained in his back pocket. But other questions emerged. Police hadn't found the murder weapon, but recovered a forty caliber shell casing from the floor near Randy's feet. It didn't match the only firearm they found at the office, a thirty-eight Ruger sitting in a drawer. And then there was a birthday note ripped into nine pieces and discarded in an office trash can. Happy birthday, love. You were so precious to my heart. I care for you more than anyone on earth. I'm not in control of things yet. If we are fully together, your birthday will always be exciting, full of surprises, romantic, and all about loving you. You are the center of my world. I praise you. I adore you. You bless me. I need you. I love you. That is verbatim what that note pretty much said. As police combed the office for more clues, detectives Steve Schmildy, <coughs> excuse me, and Jerry Stewart conducted Teresa Stone's first interview at police headquarters. They learned the couple had been about to go through some financial strains because of their planned business changes. But despite some recent stress, the marriage was strong, Teresa insisted. We were very much in love, she told them. The deaths excuse me. The detectives asked her about a large handgun, a Glock, with which one of Randy's police officer friends had seen had him had seen him with. Teresa remembered only the little three eighty, guessing that Randy must have sold the more oversized pistol about a year earlier. I don't think he had that one anymore, because this little one is the only one I've seen for a very long while, she said. Detective Steve brought up the birthday letter. Um, it was at the bottom of your trash can, he said. Teresa didn't recall it. Detective Steve and Stewart hustled to see if the crime scene text had returned with a photo of it. Alone in the interview room had been monitored by a hidden cran camera. Teresa agonized. Oh, great, she whispered to herself. I forgot about that. When the detectives returned, she conned her story about an unknown secret admirer who had left a note on her year on her car years before. Though Teresa could appear casual and fun, she knew that keeping secrets was serious business, and the detective's questions had already nicked a dark spot. One, she steadfastly refused to reveal a forbidden relationship with, you guessed it, one Reverend David Love, her pastor at New Hope Baptist Church. About a year after Pastor Love arrived, he invited her into his office. The birthday note cheerfully recalled the moments. 
I remember telling you I had something for you nine years ago in my office. It was me, and I wanted to give you me. <laughs> the kiss you took, and then you gave me one back. I felt like it was my birthday. The fog's ten spontaneous and passionate affair began slowly, with weekly meetings whenever the opportunity presented. Sometimes when she knew her husband was away from the insurance business for at least an hour, Teresa called Pastor Love. Their meetings increased to three times a week and even one or two times a day. Teresa also had to fulfill her husband's needs for affection. It wore me out, she later reflected. In 2005, Teresa became pregnant with David's child, a condition she could not hide from Randy, who had undergone a vasectomy. The news shocked Randy, but he had seen a co other couples conceive after vasectomies, so the idea of a psychological mal physiological malfunction wasn't completely alien to him. Oh my gosh, this lady. <laughs> oh, that's weird. The issue faded after Teresa miscarried. In Teresa's mind, God spared her that day. This lady is so stupid. Yet, uh, gossip occasionally spilled through the church. In 2008, Randy told a church staffer he soon would leave New Hope because he suspected his wife was having an affair with the pastor. Randy, that's ridiculous, the staffer told him. You need to be careful of the accusations you make when it comes to those kinds of things because that's a life-changing accusation for a pastor. And yes, that would not make any sense. So Randy stuck with his wife and minister, even submitting to weekly counseling with David after Teresa caught him watching porn. The porn troubled Teresa, and she responded by falling more deeply into her pastor's arms, and he responded in sometimes reckless ways. David posed in front of a digital camera for 30 profoundly intimate photographs, which he sent to Teresa and then deleted from his computer. In January 2009, Pastor Love sent Teresa a series of vibrant emails. And these to me are just very cringeworthy. So, get ready. I long for the touch of your hand as you walk by and the twinkle in your pretty blue eyes. As your smile, as you smile at me, you are my doll and your encouragement is all that keeps me going. Thank you for being so wonderful, beautiful, sexy, and smart. I live to please you, and I am totally in love with you. The couple imagined what it would be like to be married. I cannot wait to watch you walk with me, walk to me, that we are officially about to be married publicly, David wrote in January 2009. I love your ideas, I love your plans, and I think you can collect wedding info and found in as if you were planning for your daughter. Cheers responded that she would love an outdoor wedding. Maybe a rose garden or something like that. My dress, I am not sure. When I find the perfect dress, you will be the first to see it. And as I sought to understand their love, David Love reminded Teresa Stone of the biblical King David, Israel's warrior king who demonstrated that no man's depravity was beyond God's forgiveness. He was not even above murder, the pastor observed. King David, for example, orchestrated the death of 
Bathsheba's husband Uriah so that he could take her as his wife. And God still blessed them, David told Teresa. Teresa tried to dissuade her own David from extremes. If God wants us to be together, God will make it happen, she said. Bastard Love spoke as if you're an instrument of God's will. It's the warrior in me. I just, this is so stupid between these two people. The investigation at the insurance office slowed that night when police determined they needed a warrant before conducting a more thorough search. After the medical examiner removed Rainey's bodies, detectives sealed the office and posed a guard. Rose Warren, with 23 years on the force, already had classified the case as a whodunit. Investigators would scrutinize everyone close to Stone to see who had the means, motive, and opportunity to commit the crime. Rose Bourne's bosses order crime analysis and detectives from other units to drop everything and move on to the case. Within days, more than two dozen detectives, officers, analysts, and specialists will be assisting. Keep your eyes open, Rose Warren told other detectives. He had plenty of leads to chase. Someone out there has to know these people and understand how they thought. One of them lives hundreds of miles to the west and east, or sorry, West Virginia. Like a river glorious, coming the day after a murder wasn't the answer that Pastor David Trump had expected. And no, not related to Donald Trump, by the way, just so you know. In an afternoon phone call, Trump had asked David Love how he was doing, given that someone had gunned down a prominent church member the previous afternoon. Pastor Love responded with a happy quotation from the 19th century that celebrated being perfectly at peace with God. Like a real glorious, he said with a cheerful swagger in his voice before changing the subject to the NCAA basketball tournament. Trump, a Baptist church pastor in Beckley, West Virginia, had known David Love and his wife since 1990, though he hadn't spoken with them in years. Early that morning, Teresa Stone, another distant friend he hadn't shared from, hadn't heard from in a while, called to announce that her husband Randy had been shot the previous day. She followed that with a quick accounting of her activities for the day and rang off after about 10 minutes. Trump immediately called David Love to confirm this wasn't a cruel April Fool's joke, it being April 1st. After David had returned the call, Trump steered the conversation from college basketball back to Randy Stone. David Love responded much like Teresa with a detailed description of his day, mentioning a funeral service in Gladstone in the early afternoon, a software sandwich, and a hospital visit in South Kansas City much later. Do you think it'll be a question? Trump asked. I could be, if I am, I have a stack of dirt on Randy Stone, Love responded. The pastor spoke briefly about Love's plans for Randy's funeral and ended the conversation. After hanging up, Trump thought about an earlier discussion that now troubled him on several levels. In 2002, when the Stones visited Trump in West Virginia, Randy had confided that he found a letter from Teresa Birmingham with sexual fantasies and written to someone named David. Randy advised that he'd confront Teresa, who said she read that staging an affair letter might improve Randy and Teresa's sexual relationship.
Brandy never again raised the subject with Trump. Now Brandy was dead, and within hours, Teresa Stone and David Love had shared their complete alibis for the day Randy had been killed. Trump felt uneasy and resolved to contact police in Missouri, but he held off, thinking his suspicions too implausible, and then asked himself, Have I been watching too much TV? So rumors had long swirled about an affair between David Love and Teresa Stone. Now the police had to prove it. Detective Keith had scrambled successfully through the foothills of his interview with Teresa Stone. At 6.10 p.m. April 20, 2010, she signed a Miranda waiver agreeing to be interviewed without an attorney. Now Detective Keith had to climb the mountain. Faced with two tiny alibis and rumors of a long-term affair, Detective Keith had plenty of reasons to suspect Teresa and Pastor David Love. Teresa had been an atypical homicide victim's wife. Most call detectives regularly fishing for info and offering new leads, and Teresa had been remarkably quiet in the 20 days since her husband's murder. Detectives believe that Teresa and David had engaged in a nearly 10-year affair, Teresa had given David a forty caliber clock, gal, caliber clock, Glock, forty caliber clock, Glock, that belonged to her husband Randy, and communicate about the killing using disposable cell phones. But even with a solid theory and a nice pile of circumstantial evidence, Rose Warren believed that prosecutors never would file charges without significant omissions from Teresa Stone or David Love. She was in the chair that Tuesday evening because detectives felt they had a better chance of breaking down her defenses. Bro- Detective Keith decided to start up with that torn birthday note detectives found in Teresa's trash can on the day of Randy's murder. Previously, she said she had no idea who read the note and claimed it had appeared on her windshield three years earlier. She claimed she tore it up to keep it from her husband. We have to know, Detective Keith began, who wrote that note and what's going on behind it. I think you can, I think you understand. If you had somebody who's infatuated with you, that had been pursuing you, we can't rule that person out as a suspect. Detective Keith pointed to passages when the writer said, I praise you, I adore you, you bless me. There is verbiage that indicates that whoever wrote it is involved in Christianity or the church, he said. Was it David Love? Teresa wilted. Yes, he wrote it. But she wouldn't give it that easily. Is there any chance that David Love had anything to do with your husband's death? Detective Keith asked. Do you think he's capable of it? No. Detective Keith would have to be patient with Teresa. He had all night. Unknown to Detective Keith, a video feed of the interrogation had drawn a crowd in a nearby small conference room. Detectives, prosecutors, and police commanders who had met daily to review and analyze evidence settled in for a long night. Even some day shift employees hung around to watch, which each of Teresa's invasions, knots of frustration tightened in the group, only to release when Rose, when Detective Keith tested out a new emission, since Teresa's acknowledgement that she and David had communicated covertly with cell phones who had a counseling relationship from David's wife. 
the Chex's tone sharp when Teresa's denied sexual relationship with Reverend Love. I've got about 20 detectives out there that want to take this to a grand jury today, tomorrow, Detective Heath said. They think we have enough evidence against you to have you charged because they think you're involved in this. Not that you killed him, but you had something to do with it. Teresa's jaw dropped and she began sobbing. I have told you everything that happened on that day, she said. I have receipts to show you. My daughter was with me. But aware of the birthday love note and personal cell phones, Detective Keith was buying that her relationship with David Love was chaste. We're not going to wave red flags and tell the world, okay? Detective Keith assured her. Teresa, I already know what you're going to say, but I have to hear it from you. Yes, Teresa sobbed. We had sex. She soon acknowledged the 2005 miscarriage. Switching court, Detective Keith picked up the odd discrepancy between the first two calls she made after finding Randy's body. She told her parents that Randy had been shot. But then she told the 911 call taker only that Randy had blood coming from an ear. Detective Keith, emphasizing that his patience was near exhaustion, said, Who told you that he'd been shot? He pressed. How did you know that he'd been shot, and why didn't you tell us? You're not going to be truthful with me, Teresa. I, I didn't know she replied with a toss. You're not being truthful. I didn't, she said, stopping to pause. He sent me a text and told me. The opening grew wide. Who did say it? Teresa took the case beyond theory and circumstantial evidence with an anguished whisper. Brother, love. The contents of the text have been ambiguous. Seriously urgent. Do not go back to the office. But Teresa's admission that David had sent her the message propelled the questioning along more than a dozen new productive avenues. Investigators suspected that Randy had been killed with his gun from the shell casing at the insurance office. But how did Brother Love get that gun? Teresa expressed complete bewilderment, though she speculated that David Love may have memorized the combinations of Randy's gun safe when her husband showed off his firearm collection. The tempo of the interview increased. This is tearing you up, Detective, he said. I'm trying to protect a godly man, supposedly to be a godly man, Teresa said. He told me in my room the next day. Teresa began sobbing, which quickly moved to hyper hyperventilation. Courage, Teresa, the detective said. What did he say? He said, you know if you tell them that, I'm going to jail for murder, Teresa said. However, Teresa remains adamant that she had no role in playing the killing. She seemed willing to acknowledge terrible behavior on her part, but nothing that could expose her to criminal liability. Detective Keith concluded that she wasn't afraid to lay the crime at her lover's feet. Detective Keith's breakthrough tightened the mood or sorry, lighten the mood in the nearby conference room where other investigators began tossing ideas for new questions. Collapsing into a chair outside the interview room during a break, 
Detective Heath fended off high fives from colleagues, telling them that he has still a long way to go. Teresa Stone, he knew, did not give him the truth quickly. One idea percolating through the room was to put Teresa and David somehow together to see if they would say something worthwhile. More than six hours into the interview, a plan came together to have Teresa call him at home and press for a confession. Now entirely at the detective's mercy, she agreed. She put the call through at 12.43 a.m., April 21st. Immediately, David appeared suspicious. You have to do something, Teresa said. I can't live like this anymore, and this is just killing me. Okay, he responded. Who's there with you and how? Are you home? Quickly it became clear that David's wife, Kim, stood nearby, inhibiting David's ability to, talk, to speak frankly. But Teresa pushed ahead. I need to know why. I need to know why you killed my husband. I need to know. Please, I can't live like this anymore. Before David could respond, Kim came on the line, demanding to know why Teresa was calling, and asking what she thought her husband had done. Kim would not allow them to meet without her. Trust you after all you've already done, she asked. Teresa, what do you want with David? What do you want with my husband? Just tell me what you want. Detective Keith and producer for Teresa disconnected because the call was going nowhere. At the love home, Kim fired questions at her husband. Are you going to hurt me? Honey, no, I would never do that. Do you have anything to do with this? No. Well, what is she doing? But then David was paying attention to his wife. She was, she's not going to pin this on me, he said. Both loves headed for the garage. Kim stopped at the door and watched her son Shelton watching TV. Pray for me, Kim said. I don't know what's going on. David Love's New Hope Baptist Home and Church had been under surveillance for much of the evening. Just seconds after Teresa hung up her call, and Detective Chris Summers detected activity at the house. At 12.55 a.m., a gray Buick backed out the driveway and headed toward US-24 in the stone home. David. The driver glanced in a mirror and told his wife, There's a car following us. Kim again felt the cold grip of uncertainty. She imagined Teresa telling, pulling up and shooting her in the head. Honey, is something about to happen to me? Kim asked. No, honey, David replied unruffled. An independence patrol officer pulled over the car in less than a minute and police handcuffed and arrested Pastor Love. Kim agreed to go to the headquarters for an interview, even though officers assured her she was not a suspect. Back at headquarters, another plan materialized. Detective Keith quizzed Teresa about her willingness to meet with Love to see if she could encourage him to say anything. She was willing to try. I would hope he would cooperate with you guys because he's in state. He's in his state, she said. I mean, as a man of God, he's held liable to the highest God. And I know I am too. I would think he would be honest. Excuse me. Excuse me. Minutes later, Detective, or sorry, David Love stepped off an elevator, flanked by two detectives. Teresa Stone emerged from a hallway with her detective escort, looking as if she had stumbled into a chance meeting. The two stopped and looked at each other. In the final moment, final encounter, neither spoke the truth. I told them everything, a distraught Teresa said. 
David appeared stoic and did not speak for twenty seconds. Don't worry, he said. I will take care of everything. And I think that is where we're going to stop till next week when I bring up the... Uh, maybe the sec- maybe this last part, part two, or maybe another part. But anyways, that's the first half, first episode of What Do an Insurance Agent, His Wife, and Their Charismatic Preacher Have in Common. Stay tuned for the next episode. Bye-bye.